Well, hey, good morning, Hope City Church. How are we doing this morning? I'm going to be real with you guys. I was told that this is the rowdy crowd, so I'm kind of pumped. So, <laughs> I'm a holla at your boy kind of speaker, so if you, if you need to holla, just do it. <laughs> hey, I, I'm so glad that the coronavirus and that the time change didn't keep you out of church this morning, for real. And uh, thank you guys for being here. Hey, my name is Jono. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Jono. My wife, Megan, and I, we're the pastors at our Shepherdsville location. What up, Shepherdsville? We welcome Shepherdsville. Yeah. And I am so excited just to get to be able to be here and speak to you guys today. We're in a 10-week series called Long Story Short. Everybody say Long Story Short. Yeah, you guys are the rowdy crowd. And, <laughs> and we're covering the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and we're just trying to play a game of connect the dots to see uh, how, how the Bible goes, to, to see the truth in it, to learn from it. The truth is a lot of people don't have experience reading the Bible. Right? I don't know what your experience is, but I know that a lot of us, we don't have experience reading the Bible. I grew up in a pastor's home, and um, you would think that I would be forced to read the Bible all the time. That's what a lot of people say when I tell them I never touched the Bible, but it's true. I grew up in the pastor's home my whole life, and I've never, I never touched my Bible growing up unless I was in trouble. And uh, this is great. <laughs> this is so great. My parents, they would ground me to my room, let's say. They would say, Johnny, you're grounded for three days or whatever. You get home from school, go straight to your room, blah, 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 whatever. And uh, I, would, I would find my Bible, and I would open it, sit by my bedroom door so my parents could hear me leave the door open. And uh, <laughs> I'd start, like, reading the Bible out loud. <laughs> like, in the beginning, God created. <laughs> <laughs> I'd just start reading and reading, and uh, after a few minutes, my parents would hear me, and I'd grab a notebook, and I'd, like, take notes, like, writing scriptures down, and I'd hear them coming down the hallway. I'd be like, i got to cry real quick, and uh, <laughs> start crying. They, they'd come in the room like, John, what, what, what are you doing? I'm like, God's just speaking to me, <laughs> like, <laughs> just learning so much right now, <laughs> like, and they'd be like, man, I'm so proud of you. You know what? We were a little harsh on you. Why don't you go ahead? You can be off-grounded now. <laughs> like, suckers, got them. <laughs> it's a true story. Um, but we don't, want, we don't want that to be your experience reading the Bible, all right? We don't want that to be your experience. And so we're going through the Bible story by story through this series, book by book, and we're trying to figure out the big picture so we can better understand the book and the God who wrote it. So, so far, we've learned about creation. We learned about the original sin in week one, and we learned that sin promises to make things better, but always makes things worse. That's right. And then last week, my beautiful, amazing, sexy wife, Megan, she spoke, and uh, she talked about Abraham, and she talked about how God promised to create a family through him that would eventually give us Jesus, uh, the answer to all sin, but that won't happen for another 4,000 years, which is a long time to wait. And so we learned that while we're waiting, God is working. That's right. That's right. And which brings us to our next story today, which is the book of Exodus. Everybody say Exodus. Exodus. And out of all the books in the Old Testament, you're probably most familiar with the book of Exodus. Even if you've never been in church, even if you've never read your Bible before, you're not a religious person, you're probably most familiar with this book of Exodus, and you don't even realize it. Because it's a story about a famous man 
fantastic miracles and frustrating mistakes. And as we talk about this 40-chapter book today, we're going to try and answer this question. What does it feel like when your life is going in circles? Or maybe we could ask it like this. What do you do when you feel stuck? You know that God has something greater for you, but you just can't, you feel like you can't make any progress. And that is the story of the people in Exodus. See, over 400 years, Abraham's family tree has now grown into a nation of 2 million people. Abraham and Sarah, over 400 years, have grown into 2 million people, just like God promised Abraham, as we learned last week. And how did that happen? It's actually pretty simple. Abraham had a son whose name was Isaac. Isaac had a son whose name was Jacob. Later, God changes Jacob's name to Israel. All right? So anytime today where I say the Israelites, we call them the Israelites because they come from this guy. It's not like a a country. It's a person. Okay? Or the children of Israel. That's what we're talking about, the children of Jacob, Israel. All right, and then Jacob, he was a little brave, y'all. Jacob was brave. Jacob had four wives. My man was brave, and uh, <laughs> he had four wives, and so he had 12 sons, 12 sons, um, and those later become the tribes of Israel, their dad, and uh, one of those sons, his name is Joseph, and Joseph became the second most powerful man in Egypt through a series of just fortunate events and favor that God had on Joseph's life. He becomes the second most powerful man as the prime minister in Egypt. And Jacob, his dad, Israel, and their 74 relatives, they moved to Egypt to live with Joseph. And so I want to show you where all of this takes place. That's a lot. So I want to show you where it takes place. We're going to read the first few uh, verses of the book of Exodus. So if you have a Bible, it's the second book in the Bible. It's either in your, underneath your seat or in your seat uh, next to you or in your seat. You can open that up to Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. We're going to read those together. It says, these are the names of the sons of Israel. Remember, that's Jacob. Changed his name, all right? Who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Sounds like a great name for a kid, right? My son's name is Judah. Um, (laughs) Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Now, just so you guys know, I said this earlier, these 12 sons are going to be called the tribes of Israel later in the Bible. So if you're ever reading the Bible and it talks about the Levites, they're talking about his son Levi and all of his descendants. Does that make sense? And so if you're ever reading and you hear about the Benjamites, that's his son Benjamin and all of their descendants, all right? So in time, uh, including Joseph, who was, already there, uh, who was already there in Egypt, in time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new, king, a new king came into power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. 
If we don't and war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us, and then, and then they will escape from our country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. So in the beginning of Exodus, or I'm sorry, in the beginning of Genesis, we see a formation of creation. God created the beginning of everything. And in the beginning of Exodus, we see the formation of a nation. And it's not just any nation, it's God's chosen people. But, but after Joseph died, the people end up becoming slaves. For 400 years, they're slaves. And they cry out to God because they need a deliverer. They cry out to God and say, God, we need someone to help us. We need a deliverer. And so God sends them a man named Moses. Everyone say Moses. Moses. And that is what the book of Exodus is about, is this guy named Moses. All right? So I'm going to explain just real quick about Moses. Moses is an Israelite, so he's from the lineage of Abraham. His family tree is traced all the way back to Abraham, but because his mom wanted to save his life when he was born, he was supposed to be killed. So she wanted to save his life. She gives him up, and Pharaoh's daughter eventually finds him. She lets him go down a river and uh, in, a, in a boat. He obviously didn't swim as a baby. And... <laughs> So she, she puts him in this little basket, and he's floating down the river, and Pharaoh's daughter finds him. And he grows up in, in Pharaoh's palace. Um, so she gives him up as a baby, and, and miraculously and ordained by God, Moses, he's basically adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, and he lives in the palace for 40 years, which I think is a powerful point that God may already be working on the answer to your prayer, but the answer may be in children's ministry right now. We don't have time to tell the whole story, but the long story short is that Moses, he makes a mistake. After 40 years of living in the palace, he makes a mistake. He finds out, oh, crap, I'm an Israelite. I'm not an Egyptian. And uh, so he kills an Egyptian, and he goes on the run. He lives in the desert for another 40 years hiding for his life, and it feels like his life is over. He feels like he's missed his chance, like God's plan didn't work, but it wasn't over. See, in the famous story that you may have heard about in Exodus, um, God shows up to him as a burning bush, and he starts talking to, to Moses as a burning bush, as an 80-year-old Moses. And God reminds him that I want, you to lead, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. And Moses finally agrees after arguing with God, like, I don't want to do it. And finally he agrees. He goes back to Egypt, and God sends ten plagues to the people of Egypt. You may have heard about these plagues before. And, and, and finally the Israelites, Abraham's descendants, are allowed to leave Egyptian slavery. And so as they leave, another famous story happens that you may have heard about. As, they, as they're leaving Egypt, they get to this place called the Red Sea. They don't know where to go. Moses is leading them. Two million people are behind him. And God splits the Red Sea in half. And they're able to walk across the Red Sea on dry ground. It's, it's amazing. And th that's just one of the countless miracles that God did for Israel. 
He's taking them to the land that he had promised Abraham that we learned about last week. He's taking them to the land that he promised Abraham that he would give them, and, and that's why we call it the promised land. You may have heard that before. They're going to the promised land. And everything is going great. Everything's going great. They're on their way. They should make it to the promised land in no time, right? No, not exactly. See, God, God had something different in mind for them. And so let's read what happened in Deuteronomy chapter 1. It says, normally it takes 11 days to travel from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea. That is the promised land, okay, going by way of Mount Seir. But 40 years after the Israelites left Egypt on the first day of the 11th month, Moses addressed the people of Israel, telling them everything the Lord had commanded him to say. So in other words, a five-minute drive to work took five hours. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I ain't got time for that. <laughs> what should have taken the Israelites 11 days took them 40 years. Why? Well, we're going to talk about that today because maybe you're at a place in your life right now where you feel like something should have taken 11 days, but it's taken 40 years. And, and you feel like you're circling just like the, the children of Israel did. They circled this mountain for 40 years and you're circling and you're circling and you're stuck and you know that God has something greater for you, but you just, you just can't, you can't make any progress. Maybe you feel, maybe your life is being crippled because you can't get over that past relationship. Or you've gone through the nasty divorce and, and you're living in what that person said about you. And so you, you, can't, you can't move forward. You can't make any progress. Or maybe you haven't finished the dream of going back to school. Or, or school is just taking way too long. <laughs> Come on. You're, it was supposed to be a four-year university. You're on year seven right now, and you just keep circling like, here we go again. Back to it, right? <laughs> or maybe you haven't gotten that dream job that you've been wanting, or you haven't, been get, you haven't gotten that promotion that you've wanted, and you feel like you're just wandering and you're just circling, doing the same thing. Or maybe, maybe you've been trying to break that bad habit in your life. And you, you, you think you broke it, and then boom, you go right back to it. Or you can't get over that depression. You get happy, and then a week later, you're depressed again. Or your marriage, it goes from good to bad to good to bad to good to bad, and you just can't, you can't seem to stop circling and cycling, and you're stuck. And if you've thought any of these before, there could be some reasons why you feel this way. And as we, re we read this story, we're going to see that the Israelites are stuck, and we see them circling, not making any progress, trying to get to the place that God had promised them, and we can feel the same way. But what the story of Exodus is going to teach the Israelites and what it's going to teach us today is that when you feel like nothing is changing, God is changing you. That's our big idea for the day. When you feel like nothing is changing... God is changing you. When you feel like you're going to live alone forever, God is changing you. When you feel like you just can't get the job, God is changing you. When you feel like you're going to be stuck in the addiction forever, God is changing you. Because when you feel like nothing is changing, God is changing you. So with the time that I have remaining today, I want to I wanna look at these Israelites 
and I want to look at Moses and, and what we can learn from them. And so if you have your sermon guide, you can pull that out, start taking notes. This is uh, note takers go to heaven, um, just so you know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> So if you want, pull out your notes. You can you can take these down. I want to give you guys today three reasons my life can feel stuck, all right? Three reasons my life can feel stuck. Number one, write this down. God is building my character. Moses, with God's help, had just split the Red Sea in half, split an entire body of water in half, and two million Israelites walked through it on dry ground, and they're rescued. And Israel's response to this amazing miracle, this amazing deliverance from Egypt, from, from slavery, from sin, their response isn't praise. It isn't like, let's go throw a party. Woo, we're out. Like, it's not that. It's not wholehearted trust in God. It's not thankfulness. You know what their response is? They respond with grumbling and complaining and murmuring and quarreling is what the Bible tells us. And we see it all through the book of Exodus, famously in Exodus 15, 16, and 17. They're out there, and they're hungry, and so they complain to Moses. And they're, they're thirsty, and they complain to Moses. And they're tired, and they complain to Moses. And, and, and could it be that, that these Israelites were stuck circling because they were stuck complaining? Well, there's, there's, there's no water out here, Moses. Moses, there's, there's no water. Where's the beef, Moses? Where? I have blisters on my feet, Moses. Moses, my feet hurt. Are we there yet, Moses? It's taking too long, Moses. They quickly forgot the grace and the mercy that God had just had on them, getting them out of slavery. The God of the universe had just tossed around the most powerful man on the face of the earth, Pharaoh. He didn't just humble Pharaoh. God broke Pharaoh's spirit. Something incredible happened right in front of their eyes, and they forgot it. A sea splits right in front of their eyes, and they forgot it. They're on the back of these unthinkable miracles, and they're grumbling at their living situation in the desert. And my question is, when I read this, like, what did they think was going to happen when they got to a desert? Like, <laughs> what did they think was going to happen? Like, let me check into the Hilton. Like, what? I don't know. They're grumbling. <laughs> but the thing is, this wasn't just a one-time grumble, and this wasn't just a one-time complain, or this wasn't a one-time hangry. We got any hangry people in here? You get hangry? Come on, be honest. Yeah. My wife tells me all the time, you're hangry. I'm going to go cook. I'm like, okay, thank you. <laughs> this, wasn't, this wasn't just a one-time thing. This was a heart condition. This was the heart saying, I know better than God, and if only he would follow my plan. You see, what I've learned is that the, the heart of every problem is the problem in the heart. The heart of every problem is the problem in the heart. And so maybe, maybe my marriage is miserable, but maybe it's really because I'm always discontent. Or maybe I complain about not having enough money or a big enough house, but it's really because I, I feel like a failure. 
Or everyone else is achieving things, but I'm stuck at the same dead-end job forever. And we grumble and we complain and we don't just grumble and complain to, about circumstances. Our grumbling and complaining aren't responses to our circumstances. They're our heart. It's our heart. Israel grumbled while they were slaves. And then they grumbled and they complained when Moses showed up on the scene. And then they complained when, when they wander into the desert. Their complaining wasn't rooted in their scenery. Their complaining was rooted in their hearts. And the same is true for you and me. Our complaining is rooted in our hearts. A heart of of gratitude and a heart of thankfulness isn't dependent on our bank account. A heart of of thankfulness isn't dependent on our job performance. Or it isn't dependent on, on our housing situation or who we're dating. It's a heart condition. In Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, check out what it says. It says, remember the Lord your God, or remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you, let's say this together, to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. God wanted to humble them and to test them to prove their character. And when I first read that scripture, I got a little uncomfortable with God. <laughs> Let's be real. I got, a, I got a little uncomfortable with God. Like, God, why would you, like, you want to humble us and test us to prove our character? But then I thought about my kids. <laughs> and I thought about your kids. And I know I'm not the only one who does this. We test our kids to prove their character, don't we? We test our kids. So I'll tell my my sweet little precious angel, Lakey, her, her name's Lakin. I call her Lakey Bakey. She does no wrong. And uh, I'll tell her, <laughs> I'll tell her, hey, baby, uh, hey, Lakey Bakey, I need you to go clean your room. She doesn't know that we just bought ice cream when we went grocery shopping. And if she cleans her room, guess what? She's going to get some ice cream, all right? And so if I say, hey, Lakey Bakey, go clean your room, and she walks away like, okay. Rarely happens, y'all. And <laughs> she walks away, and she does it like, I'm going to give her all the ice cream that she wants, okay? Anything you want, baby, you can have it. I don't even care. Anything you what you want more, I'll go to the store and get you more. Come on. Like, whatever she wants, I'm going to give it to her. But if she responds with, hey, hey Lakey Bakey, I need you to go clean your room. But why, uh, but dad, uh, it's that uh afterwards, ooh. But that's not fair. Uh, guess what? Like, you aren't getting a thing. You're not getting nothing. You're not even getting dinner tonight. You're going to bed hungry, all right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But God does the same thing to us. We say, God, I want that promotion. And God says, okay, but can you show up to your current job on time? God, God, I want to I wanna lead. I want to preach. I want to sing. Well, can you serve people maybe and in, in vacuum the floors throughout the week? God, I, I want a new house, but are you taking care of the, the rental house that you already have? God, I want to make some friends. I just need some friends in my life. Okay, can you, can you maybe, maybe give up two hours a week and join a growth group? You know, our growth groups meet once a week, and we talk about our sermons. Every single week, they're gender-based. They meet throughout the city of Louisville and Shepherdsville, and they, we talk about the sermons. We go over sermon questions, and we just create friends, okay? <laughs> That's what we do. 
God wants to build our character. And what's funny is you don't know if you trust God until God says no. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we still want God when God doesn't give us what we want? Because your character is developed through frustration. And sometimes you feel stuck because God's putting you through a test that you need to pass. And you feel stuck because God is building your character, and that's okay. If you're stuck, if you're circling, if you're wandering, start with God. And choose to believe that anything that I'm going through, God is trying to teach me something. So if you're stuck right now or you're wandering and you're circling, ask the question, God, what are you trying to teach me? Are you trying to build my character? But the second reason my life can feel stuck is this. I'm making bad choices. I'm making bad choices. Exodus 32, it goes on and says, Moses, he's at the top of a mountain. He goes, he goes to the top of this mountain, and that's where we get the Ten Commandments from. Maybe you've heard about the Ten Commandments. It comes from the book of Exodus. So he goes to this mountain. He gets the Ten Commandments, and while he's up there talking with God, the children of Israel are down at the bottom of the mountain, and they're starting to get a little antsy. Okay? They know where they're going. They know, they know that there's this promised land that they're supposed to get to. They, they know that, that, that there's this promise, but it's just taking too long. And instead of praying about it, instead of, of talking to God about it, instead of saying, God, what, what are we supposed to be learning through this? They decide to melt down all their gold that they took from Egypt and create a golden calf, which is a god that they used to worship back in Egypt. They're essentially saying, God, you're taking too long, so we're going to create our own god that fits our own plan. Now, we aren't melting down gold, and if you are, I'll gladly take some if you want to bless the, bless the guy up here. Um, but <laughs> we aren't melting down gold and creating golden idols and, and golden calves and golden retrievers, um, whatever. Um, <laughs> but don't we take things into our own hands when we don't get what we want? We learned about it last week when Megan talked about Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah, they, they wanted a baby, and they couldn't have one, and God promised them one. So what'd they do? They had a baby with their maid. And my, my kids do this all the time. They, they don't have a baby with their maid. My, my, my kids ask me for chocolate milk for the 18th time in a day. And I say, no, you're not getting chocolate milk. Go drink some water. And they're like, no, water's gross. Ugh. And... <laughs> So I'll, I'll tell my kids no, and what do they do? They wait for me to, to, to not be looking, and I see them, like, inching over like this. My boys are real sneaky, real sneaky. They inch over, and they go to the fridge and wait for me to not look. They grab, they open the fridge, they grab the milk, they grab the chocolate syrup, and they put it on the floor, climb up the countertop, grab a cup, put it on the floor. <laughs> what do they do? They open the, the chocolate syrup. They pour it next to the cup. On the floor, next to the cup, okay. Pour it next to the cup. They're four years old. And then they grab the milk, and they dump it into the cup to where it's overflowing. They go to the drawer, grab a spoon, and try to stir it, and there's just milk and chocolate syrup everywhere. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's horrible. But <laughs> you may have seen on my social media lately, I bought a lock for my fridge. 
It's amazing. My kids were so bummed. <laughs> it was so funny. I wish I could have recorded it. It was so funny. <laughs> they were really bummed. You know, the funny thing, too, is after two days, the lock mysteriously disappeared. Like, no one knows where the lock is. No one knows. So I bought another one. <laughs> I bought another one. I'm going to win this battle. Not today, devil. <laughs> Not today. But we do this to God, don't we? We say, God, you're taking too long, so I'm going to do it my way. God, God, you're, you're taking too long giving me the promotion, so I'm going to take the job even if it keeps me out of church on Sunday. We make bad decisions all the time. If you, if you keep dating bums, you're not going to get what God has for you. <laughs> it's the truth. If you keep entertaining the conversation with the guy or girl at work that isn't your spouse, your marriage isn't going to get better. It's just going to keep going in circles. If you keep getting credit cards, you're never going to get out of debt. If you keep assuming you're always right, your relationships are always going to stay stuck. Well, God, God, give me the raise. Okay, stop being irresponsible with the money that he's already given you. God, give me the promise. Okay, stop making bad decisions while you're waiting. You're going in circles, and maybe you feel stuck because you're making bad decisions. Maybe God's trying to build your character, but what about number three? Three reasons my life can feel stuck is because, number three, I lack courage. I lack courage. The story goes on in Numbers chapter 13, and it tells us that that Moses and the children of Israel, they're on the edge of their promised land. They can see the promised land that God has given them. God said, all you got to do is take it. They're on the edge of the promised land. And so Moses, he sends 12 spies to go into the land to figure out what is in that land. And then we see their report in, Mo er, in Moses, in Numbers chapter 13. It says this was their report. We entered the land you had sent us to explore, and indeed it is a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. Earlier we see that, that the grapes were so big it took two guys to carry one bushel. Some grapes the size of basketballs, I don't know. <laughs> but the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Skip down a couple verses, and they're going to keep going. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. And all the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak, Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought, too. Guys, all they had to do was walk into the land that God had promised them. That's it. All they had to do was walk into the land that God had given them. God had promised it to Abraham years and years and years ago. But they lacked the courage to do it. So my question is, where in your life are you lacking courage right now? Have you been circling an area of your life over and over and over? Did God promise you something and you haven't gotten it yet, but it's because you lack the courage? 
Maybe, maybe you, you need the courage to confess to someone about a secret sin that no one knows about. Maybe you need the courage to check into the rehab. Maybe you need the courage to cut up the credit cards. Or, or, or maybe it's the courage to call that person and say, I forgive you. Or, or courage to go back to school and chase that dream. Or maybe you want to quit school right now and it's the courage to finish school. Or maybe it's the courage to talk to the doctor. Maybe you need courage to trust God's plan, to chase a dream, to forgive yourself. You know what's funny is we all know what we need to admit to ourselves. We all know it. We know what we struggle with. We know where we lack courage. A lot of times we're just too afraid to admit it. Like, what will they think of me? I can't admit my addiction. What are they going to think of me? I can't go back to school again. What are they going to think of me? I can't forgive that person. What are they going to think of me? I can't chase that dream. We know what God wants us to do. Things don't get better in time. I'm sorry, Leona Lewis, they don't. You know, like the song. <laughs> Something has to change. And I love the last line in this scripture. It says, next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought, too. My question is, how did the spies know what the giants thought about them? So we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought, too. How did they know what the giants thought of them? The giants didn't see them. Aren't they spies? If the, if the giants saw them, they're some pretty terrible spies. They're not supposed to be seen. How'd they know what the giants thought? And how many times do we not do something in fear of what other people are going to think of us? So instead of checking into the rehab, we just continue to circle and to cycle and to wander and just be stuck. Because we don't want anyone to know. Instead of calling that person and saying, I forgive you, we just continue to walk around in bitterness. Instead of asking your boss for the raise, we just continue to settle for what we're doing now. I read a story recently about the actor Ben Affleck. He's come, he came out with a new movie, and it's kind of based on his life. And he, they interviewed him, and he said, I drank relatively normally for a long time. What happened was that I started drinking more and more when my marriage was falling apart. This was 2015, 2016, and I just got out of my notes. <laughs> 2015, 2016. My drinking, of course, created more marital problems. It took me a long time to fundamentally, deeply, without a hint of doubt, admit to myself that I am an alcoholic. He said the next drink will not be different. He had to admit it to himself, and that takes courage. We all know what we need to admit to ourselves. It just takes courage. Who cares what other people think of us when our promise is on the line? They spend 40 years circling and circling and doing the same thing, knowing that God has promised them something, 
And check out what the Bible says in Deuteronomy 2. It says, then at last the Lord said to me, you have been wandering around this hill, this hill country long enough. Turn to the north. In other words, you've been circling and you've been circling and you've been wandering and you've been cycling and you're stuck for too long. It's time to move forward and ask God, what are you trying to teach me? Are you building my character, God? Have I been making any bad decisions? And what courageous step do I need to take? And even when we're going in circles or we feel stuck, or we feel like it's our fault, God doesn't give up on us. He still stays with us. He leads us, and he guides us, and he provides for us. God has never left you. God just wants you to move forward. Skip down to verse 7. It says, For the Lord your God has blessed you in everything you have done. He has watched your every step through this great wilderness. During these 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you, and you have lacked nothing. Yeah, you may have made some bad decisions. Yeah, you may have just been circling for 40 years, it feels like. Maybe you haven't had the courage, but you've lacked nothing. During feeling stuck, during going in circles, I can promise you that the Lord is with you. God has blessed you, and he has watched your every step. When you feel, when you feel like he's not with you, I promise you that he's with you. When you feel like he's not helping you, he's helping you. When you feel like nothing is working, God is working on you. Because when you feel like nothing is changing, God is changing you. And so I have a question that I want to ask everyone before we pray. Everyone in this room, you've had a Genesis moment. And I know that because I'm looking at you right now. You've had a beginning. You're here. You've had a Genesis. You're alive. But not everyone in this room has had an exodus moment. Not everyone in this room has had the exodus moment where you've come out of Egypt. You've come out of sin. You've come out of slavery. And you're choosing to live in the life that God has for you. You know, last week, Megan challenged us to be obedient. And maybe you found yourself stuck. And you found yourself circling. And you found yourself cycling. In just a moment, one of our pastors is going to give you a chance to commit your life to Jesus, to come out of Egypt and say, I'm, I'm out of this sin. I don't want to do it anymore. I want to move forward. I want to move my life forward. I want to get out of Egypt. You bow your heads. I'm going to pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for teaching me through your word that I'm a work in progress. Thank you for showing me, Moses, and the people of Israel that you desired development in them and in me too. God, help me to see, help us to see where we lack courage. Help us to make better choices and decisions to not only help our family, but to help ourselves. God, work on our hearts. Help us to face ourselves. Help us to be strong where we feel weak and to not care what others think but only what you think, God. Create a new people out of us. In Jesus' name, amen.